Welcome to episode 39 of the Going For Broke Outdoors podcast, a podcast by an outdoorsman for other outdoorsmen. I'm your host, Jeremy Gillespie. On today's episode, I welcome George Hamrick to the show. George is a West Virginia native who now calls Ohio home. In the past few years, George has honed his hill country skills to take down some great public land bucks. In this episode, George and I discuss the hunts for several's trophy deer and the tactics and techniques he used on these successful hunts, including still hunting and hunting off the ground with archery equipment. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Uncle Lou at Stealth Outdoors for helping to make this podcast possible. Check out Stealth Outdoors at www.stealthoutdoors.com. Need a stocking stuffer for your favorite hunter? Now is the perfect time to pick up some climbing stick wraps, cam buckle covers, platform cable wraps, or stealth strip rolls for all of your miscellaneous silencing need. And for a limited time, now through December 21st, take 25% off all smoke camo. Visit www.stealthoutdoors.com to silence your gear and to place an order today. And now, on to the podcast. All right, on today's podcast, I'm joined by George Hamrick. George, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, I don't think I've seen you on any podcast before, but you're knocking down some good bucks. So, for people that aren't already familiar with you, why don't you give us a brief bio, who you are, where you live, how you got into hunting, all that good stuff. Sure. So I uh, grew up in West Virginia, um, started hunting there, kind of the same as I'd say a lot of guys do. Just start with squirrel hunting when I was probably six or seven and then got into deer with the rifle. I think I shot my first doe when I was eight and first buck, I think I was 10 or 11. So just kind of doing the whole deer camp, you know, week long gun season. And then uh, I think I was 15, I shot my first deer with a bow and uh, just kind of got hooked on it that way. And ever since then, that's kind of been what I've been hooked on. And then uh, moved up to Ohio a few years back and just kind of been trying to up my game and kill some bigger deer throughout the years and just keep getting better at this public land stuff. It's it's fun, but it's a lot. It's a lot to learn and still learning as it is. So, George, like a lot of guys, uh, especially I've noticed you hanging around on the hunting beast guys that are trying to target older age class bucks um that's a challenge and it's certainly a challenge on public land so what made you decide to pursue that um honestly i don't really know uh i i hunted private farms in west virginia i was blessed to have a farmer that let me hunt about 150 acre parcel and uh, we had our own private farm which was about 200 acres and then uh one season i was just turkey hunting and i remember it's on a piece of public close to my home and and uh found a shed and that kind of got me interested like hey maybe there's some nicer deer in here than what i you know i think everybody has public land as this viewpoint of it doesn't have big deer and it's hard to find them and then um found that shed and kind of got interested and started watching it during the summer and just hiking and scouting a lot and uh that got me going and i started seeing some bigger deer and that kind of shocked me for west virginia to see some of the deer i was seeing and that just got me wanting to learn more and get into it. And it was a struggle for sure. The first few years, I don't think I, I didn't kill any deer. Um, I missed a really good buck. And that was right before last year I was in West Virginia where I moved up here. And, and ever since then, I've just kind of been hooked on it and want to get better at it. And then, and uh, we bought a camp in Ohio. So that kind of helped with the whole logistics of having a place to stay and, and uh, just having some public around that chase these deer around and watch deer and seeing some of their higher deer. And that even got me going even more just to see a different age class and size class of bucks. 
Yeah, and I don't know. I've never hunted West Virginia or Virginia, but I do see some pretty good bucks coming out of there. Maybe not the upper upper echelon like you do in the Midwest, you know, like not tons of 170, 180, 190, not that there's tons of those in Kansas or Iowa or Illinois either, but it seems like there's a there's a decent amount of guys shooting pretty solid bucks. So what was the hunting like there? I'd be curious. Um, so it's definitely gotten better, I think, for one aspect. They're kind of there's kind of this viewpoint of trying to gain some more mature deer to chase. Um, they just lowered the buck limit from three to two. Um, that'll go in effect next year. But hunting the public, I did. I, I think I had the aspect or the viewpoint of there's not going to be anything over, you know, two-year-old, 100-inch deer. And um, I remember one of my first summer scouting trips in an area, I found that shed. And I thought that deer was probably going to be 110 when I found the shed. I thought that deer might be big next year. And I'm watching this opening just in a pipeline and a buck comes out. And I'm like, well, there he is. He's a hundred inches. He's not, didn't grow. And then all of a sudden the, ex, the actual deer steps out and he's 135, 140 inch 12 point. And I was like, okay, this place actually holds some good deer. And, um, I think in the three years I hunted that piece and the different pieces of public I hunted in West Virginia, I think I laid eyes on maybe one buck that was 140, but there was definitely some nicer bucks like 120, 130 range. Um, now if you go in the bow only counties down South, are some, you can get into some of those really big, you know, 160 plus type deer, but they have the one buck only limit and bow only. So that, you know, that definitely helps them reach that upper five plus age range. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know there was bow only counties. That's a pretty cool concept. Yeah, that's in, uh, Southern West Virginia. I think there's four counties and, and, um, that's when you're getting into the, the mountains of West Virginia. Those aren't the the little rolling hills like what I'm hunting in Ohio and where I grew up. And, uh, yeah, they kill some, that's basically, I want to say probably like 80% of the big deer. In West Virginia okay. You're working for them then though. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're, and we're going to get into some hill country tactics in a little bit, but, and sure. the, the other thing I was curious about Virginia and maybe it's West Virginia, Virginia, or maybe I'm just misremembering. Can't you use dogs during the season in one of those States or both? I think in Virginia you're allowed, um, West Virginia. I think the only thing you're allowed to use dogs for is bear hunting. And okay. they made it legal like two years ago for you to use them to track deer if they're wounded, you know, on sure. a leash, but no, I know a lot of guys do the bear hunting with dogs in West Virginia and love it, but that's, that's not something I ever really got into. Yeah. Totally different. Uh, same thing growing up in Michigan, you can use dogs to run bears and, and I'd never done it, but I have a lot of friends that have, or, I know a yeah. guy or two that have bear dogs and it seems like fun. I just, I never got into it either. Yeah. Same. Just never, never got the opportunity. Well, George, we're uh, Instagram pals. And I, as I've checked out your Instagram going back and you've had an Instagram for quite a while. So it's interesting to see the progression and you went from shooting like, like a lot of guys have, and I'm not judging because I've shot plenty of yeah. your two year old bucks. Right. So let me preface with that, but you can see the progression in the pictures where, where you shot some younger deer. And then you can tell the last three, four years, you've really upped your game and you've killed some really nice bucks. So talk to me about the early years. Um, you know, you've mentioned you shot your first deer with a bow and you're 18 or your first buck. What was that like? And uh, maybe talk from the age of 15 up until I think you shot your first really nice buck around 2019. So maybe yeah. talk that period and, and what'd you learn there and how did you progress from shooting that type of deer to, to now shooting bigger ones? Sure. So I think part of it is growing up in West Virginia, it was, uh, you know, you're growing up as kind of a, I don't want to call it, it's a brown, it's down state, but 
to some degree, that's what it was. You know, you, you saw a six point second day of gun season. That's what you shot. And I had a ton of fun doing that. I, I'm happy I was shooting deer and, you know, I wasn't picky. And I think I was probably about 15 when I started kind of getting a little pickier. Um, and just kind of the whole public land chase and everything. And, and, uh, I started noticing once I, I think it was, uh, I killed like a year and a half old or two and a half year old, eight point one year. And, um, it was the first time I ever shot a deer and said, man, this deer would have been pretty nice if he'd made it another year. And that just kind of got me wanting to up my game a little bit and trying to get up to that next, like three and a half year old or, or just a nicer, you know, more solid deer. And, um, I want to say I was 16 or 17 the first year I started passing deer and it was hard. I remember passing, you know, two, three bucks a day. And at times, and it was just, it was killing me to do it. Yeah. it was, you know, you get, you get that nice two year old eight point walk 15 yards in front of you. And you just, you know, you start shaking the trigger finger wants to go off. Um, but yeah, I got into that. And then, um, I think part of it was on Ohio too. Um, just seeing kind of like the age class of bucks that were out there. I started getting into cameras a little bit and it was like, you know, you're going from hunting in the daytime and, you know, struggling or just seeing, you know, a couple of deer. And then all of a sudden you run these cameras and you realize, wow, there's some, you know, really big deer around here. And, um, that was part of it. And I think part of it was just learning from like the hunting beast and listening to podcasts, um, just learning some of these new tactics that, you know, I never really had done before because my dad was, you know, I love my dad and how he got me into hunting, but it was primarily, he was a rifle hunter. So a lot of these tactics, you know, to get in bow range were different from what he had taught me and just what I learned from him over the years. Um, and that's really helped me too, just kind of get into where I was seeing better deer. Um, and I, I struggled, I struggled getting them on the ground for a few years for sure. I was blowing a lot of opportunities on good deer that I really shouldn't have been blowing or just making poor shots that I shouldn't have been, been blowing really. But yeah, just learning through West Virginia and then uh, just, I think a lot of just experience too. I mean, I, like I said, I blew a lot of opportunities and, and set up in the wrong tree, you know, or just kind of honing that setting up to exactly where to be uh, has definitely helped a lot. Let's talk about blown opportunities because I think that's thing that people struggle with. I know I've struggled with it in the past. Uh, I had a lot of struggles with it this year, which I've talked about on some other podcasts. I won't beat a dead horse there, but what did you do or what helped you specifically? Cause you said I, I was struggling with, which sounds like you're not currently. So what helped you to get over those hurdles? What were you doing as far as maybe tweaking your setups or, or shooting in, you know, in the moment of truth, what helped you personally? Yeah. So, um, honestly it was about, tw- so I had to kill that nice buck in 2019 and then uh, 2020, I had the worst year I've ever had um, for getting deer on the ground. I I went out west and elk hunted, blew a shot on the elk out there, um, came back to Ohio and had a specific buck I was hunting, blew a shot on him, hit a limb, went right under him. And then uh, the next week, I went back in the same area and had a nice, you know, 120, 130 type deer come in and blew a shot on him. And that was... Uh, kind of low point for me, I would say for sure. Cause I just, I never had, I, like I said, I struggled, but never to that degree. And, um, so after that season, I said, I got to change this. So I totally switched my, I bought a new bow, which it, it wasn't the bow. It wasn't any of that. It was me, but I felt like I needed to just change my process, start over and fix something because something had to change. 
And so I bought a new bow, uh, set up new arrows, tinker, both that type of stuff. But the biggest thing I think for me was just to get I got a thumb button instead of a trigger finger. Um, and I just, I blank bailed for probably two or three months, just trying to get that surprise release and just changing my process and having a good process to talk it through in my head. But I got to that moment, you know, like this is the time to take the shot. And I think before that, it was just where I was, I was punching the trigger so bad that I would, and I would try to look and see what I was hitting and I would just pull it, you know, and I was just pulling them six inches here or eight inches there. And it was just, you know, I'd practice all summer long and feel really good. But then when it came to that second, my mind would just blink. I just had no idea what I was doing or, you know, it'd just be like, shoot. It would just pop in my head, shoot them. And it was just, it, it was getting to where I had to change it. And, uh, and that elk still, it still kills me to this day that I hadn't done this a year earlier or I had an elk. So it was, but it's, since I've made that change, um, I've shot, uh, I think one doe and two bucks and both of them have been, as soon as the arrow goes off, it's like that shot felt good. And until that point, I don't think I'd ever really had that. And, and that was just from watching YouTube and watching a lot of, um, John Dudley and just kind of watching guys who have done this surprise release. And, and it's, it's been a game changer for me for sure. Yeah. I've talked about that with some other guests too. And it seems like in the moment you feel like, like you're taking your time and it's going so slow, but when you're having those issues and the first time I noticed it is when I filmed the hunt, I felt like I took five, 10 seconds and aimed and, and I made a good shot, but I watched it back and it was like, wow, that was like a second and a half. Like, it seemed like in the moment so much slower, but then I shot real fast. Like, oh, I wonder how many of those issues I've had before. I was doing the same thing. Like, you get on it and you just, like you said, punch the trigger or drive by or whatever. There's a lot of a lot of ways it can go wrong, and that's one oh, thing yeah. I've had to tell myself is in the moment, like slow down. You got more time than you think usually. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of it too. It's always that something could go wrong. I think I had that thought too. Like, yeah. you gotta, if he's in range, you got to get an arrow and do it. You know. And, um, that was part of it too. I think some of my shot selection was not, not bad, but like to a point where it, I should have waited, you know, it's like the deer's coming in, you know, he's 28 yards coming closer, you know, take your time. You know, I mean, he's not going anywhere. And yeah, that's just trying to make myself wait. And I, I kind of did the same thing. I would like, even some of the deer I've shot the last couple of years, it's like, how long was he actually in range? You know, it's like, he probably wasn't there for 30 seconds, but it seemed like it's like two, three minutes waiting on that shot. It's, yeah. Yeah. And especially if the wind's dicey or something, like you're just waiting for something to yeah. go wrong. Yeah. Funny personal story real quick. So in 2017, I, I hurt my shoulder pretty bad. I ended up having surgery on it the following year. Long story there. We won't talk about that, but I was in a tree stand and this is in Michigan still. And it wasn't, it wasn't a big buck, you know, looking back, I, I laugh. And at the time I was real bummed out about it, but so 2017, I hadn't shot a lot of good bucks yet. And this deer was probably 110, 115 inches, but it was the biggest deer I had on camera yeah, in Michigan. It's a nice buck, yeah. yeah. And so I went, I'd been going to the doctor and he's like, well, if you think you can shoot your bow, he's like, you're not going to hurt your shoulder anymore. So after I heard it, I took like a month off cause I was worried I was going to just ruin it, shoot my bow more. Right. So, I was so scared I was going to mess it up. I didn't even shoot before I went out. So I, I went out, I climbed in the stand and here, sure enough, here comes this buck and talking about how long was he in range. And, and this just made me think of the story. And it's funny. So he comes into about 
25, 30 yards and he's getting ready to start going broadside. I try to draw. Of course, I can't draw my bow. My, you know, I don't know if my shoulder was just weaker because I hadn't been shooting or whatever. And, and I've never had that problem in my whole life. I'm a bigger guy. It's like, it's never been an issue. And, but it was my bow arm actually. It wasn't my draw arm. My bow arm like kept collapsing. I couldn't hold it straight. And uh, so <laughs> this deer walks from like 25 yards to 10 yards, maybe seven yards. I mean, he's right in front of my stand, broadside, just looking around. And, and I'm yeah. like sky drawn and drawn from the ground, like just trying to get this bow back. I couldn't do it. And it just like goes to show you in a, an experience like that for me was real important. It's like, oh, so many times you got way more time than you thought. And then he walked 10 yards past me, stopped again, perfectly quartering away. It's like, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> so that's the, the moral of the story is not always, but a lot of times you got more time and more opportunity than, yeah. than you think. Yep. Yeah, especially, like you said, that wind, too. It's If that wind's behaving the way you want it to, you know, it, you got all day for the most part. I mean, the wind, at least on the good days, you know, like you said, some days it's just gusts all over and it's kind of just kind of a luck factor to it. But a lot of times if you're set up right, I think with the right weather, it's they're not going to win you if you do it, if you're set up right. Yeah, so let's talk about setups and, and some better bucks. So 2019, and maybe you shot some good bucks before that, but the one that's on the Instagram, the really nice buck, um, take me through that story because I think that's probably is, – is that your biggest buck that you shot? Yeah, that's my biggest, yeah. Okay, so um, maybe talk just like – did you, did you know about the deer, what the setup was like, any lessons you learned, any, you know, like the whole story there? Sure. So, uh, that was a deer. So this was an area I knew about. I had hunted it a little bit. Um, I had a camera in that area the year before and I had a, what I think was a picture of this buck. Um, like I think it was like October 31st or maybe the 30th, right in that time frame. And I'm not even sure it's even the same buck I shot, but I think. But I, that was an area I'd hunted, I think, two years, and I'd pass a couple, like, 100 to 115-inch deer. Um, and I noticed it was always really hot, like, the last week of October, the first couple of days in November. And after that, it sort of cooled off for some reason. I don't know if, you know, the bucks were, would get on lockdown with the doe at that point or what would happen. But um, basically, this area is a super thick uh, bench, and um, it's all open oaks on top. And... This was the first year I'd, I'd scouted it that winter. And there was a big trail intersection in the thicket. And I said, I got to get in here and hunt this. But there really wasn't any good trees in it. It's just a thicket. And um, and the only way to really access it is come from the bottom. And it's all sycamores and just loud. You know, I don't know if you walk on those sycamore leaves, but those things, it's so loud, especially if it's not the right weather. But basically, the night before it rained, I thought it'd be a good day. It was kind of a probably like 15, 20 degree temperature drop. Thought it'd be a good day for me to get in there. The wind was right. And uh, it's kind of on the leeward side. And um, I just hunted on the ground. And I kind of took some, like the, uh, there's like bungee ties, like for tarps and stuff. I took okay. a couple of them with me and just kind of tied some limbs around. So I'd have a little bit of some brush. And I had a shooting limb in that trail opening. And uh, yeah, like eight o'clock, I hear a grunt. And he's coming right down the opening and I see, I just see a tree shaking from him rubbing and I haven't seen him yet. But as soon as he raised his head up, I said, Oh yeah, that's a shooter. And, um, he basically just kind of grunted through like scent checking those two trails. He even kind of went uphill. Like he was checking the one intersection and went down, like he was checking the other. 
and he was going really slow, just grunting. And I remember at the parking lot, I heard a guy pull up and I can hear dogs. So I think he was getting ready to run rabbits and the buck's just standing there staring at the parking lot. And I just remember thinking like, please don't let this one guy ruin this, you know? Yeah. Uh, He's just standing there watching the parking lot. And then the guy just left. I don't really know why he decided to leave, but as soon as he left, that buck just started coming and he walked through it. I think it was probably 13 yards when he hit my opening. And, um, that was kind of the first one where I think I had, cause I'd found that spot probably like two years before and just hadn't decided to dive into it. And I don't know if it was just, I wanted to stay up in the open oaks where I could see, or I just didn't feel comfortable hunting on the ground. I don't really know why I didn't do it sooner. Um, but that was the first year I'd kind of like decided to just, I'm going to hunt on the ground and set up on the ground and it's thick enough. I'll be fine. And that thicket there is, um, it's worked good for me. And this year, that's where I shot my buck this year too. I was, um, probably about a hundred yards from where I shot the one in 2019. Well, there's a lot of lessons there. So first one sounds like you're maybe close to a parking lot. You know, I don't want to give you a spot away or anything, but if you can see the guy, you have to be fairly close, right? Or hear him at least. Yeah. I'm, um, it's less than a quarter mile. It's just up on top and the parking's in the bottom. Okay. Um, So it's, you know it's a little farther than it maybe sounded, but when you're up on top of those ridges down in hill country, if you, if it's quiet, you can hear them, you know, a long ways. Sure. So that's, that's an interesting takeaway. You're not three miles deep and, and no. obviously in the hunting beast talk about overlooked spots a lot. And then the second yeah. one is hunting from the ground. I, I wish more guys would give that a try. I've shot my two biggest bow bucks off the ground. Um, yeah. one in South Dakota, one out here in Montana. And I mean, yeah, you gotta have the right situation. I like, you're being right. creative there, taking the bungees in. So what, uh, what about that area? I mean, other than it's thick, right. And there's, there's some trails in there. Was there, there wasn't a tree at all to get in or maybe just talk about the area so, a little bit without giving it away. Yeah, no, you're fine. There's, there's one tree there that I thought about climbing in and it was like, I could shoot into the opening, but I didn't like it because it was right on the trail. Okay. So I felt like here it comes in, he's either coming right at me and coming under me. Or honestly, my other thought was if a doe comes in first, she's going to win me because she's going to come right under me and win, you know, smell me where I walked in. And so I, I don't know. I just thought the hunt on the ground was the best option. And honestly, that's where I'd shot most of my bucks previously, but it was more still hunting. Okay. And like the buck I shot this year was out of a saddle. I think that's the first buck I shot out of a tree in probably 13, 14 years. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So I, I'd been still hunting a lot. And that was the first one where I just kind of set up on the ground intentionally. Um, like to shoot one specific spot, I'd sit on the ground previously because like I still hunt for, you know, an hour or two and sit down. Um, and that might be part of it too. Um, that's why I was able to kill that bigger one was I was actually setting up. But at the same time, my 2021 buck was, I was still hunting on that one. Um, and I, I've had some really good encounters the last couple of years still hunting during the rut. Cause it seems like once those bucks are chasing, you know, they can, you can get away with some stuff. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Cause they're just that, but you're the last thing on their mind. If you can get away with doing it, moving, whatever, as long as that doe doesn't see you or smell you or whatever, you, he's going to go where that doe goes. Well, let's talk about the buck from 2021. So 2019 shot a really big buck. 2021 yeah. shot a, another really good buck. So take me through the story there. You, you alluded to it. You were still hunting, and that's actually yeah. one of my favorite things to do too. Uh, and I think it works better out west because 
not that, I mean, it sounds like you're having success too, but let me rephrase that. I think it's easier out West because a lot of areas have less trees and you're not battling hardwood leaves, which makes right. still hunting a lot tougher. So I like to do it out West, but, um, t- talk us through the story there, the 2021 buck. Sure. So, um, basically this was a new piece. I went in it in the summer and saw this probably the biggest, probably still the biggest buck I've seen. Um, like mid one fifties, one sixty type deer. And um had a camera in there and he showed up one time on the camera after I saw him and then poof, you know, gone. And I think that was like July probably. So I went in there in uh late October I said I'm gonna hunt um in an area I'd scouted a little bit before season and see if he shows up or I'm gonna walk the whole piece and find him or at least try to find out where he's at. Uh went in that morning it rained, I think it was the thirtieth. Yeah, I think it was the thirtieth. And I ended up seeing five bucks and 13 does. So I had one of the best deer days I've had and it was raining. So I just, I sit in the tree till about 11 and then just kind of still hunting my way through. And, um, I was right on the back part of the piece and I started finding some bigger sign. And I said, this big one's back in here and it's like 1230 and I'm picking my tree. Cause I said, I'm just going to sit this. There was a big trail with some big scrapes headed out to this and private. And I said, I'm just going to set this here and hope he comes around this trail. I was on the leeward side and catch him coming around, cruising around, going to that field, essentially a dark. And I sit my bag down to put, get in the tree. And I look down and here he is 30 yards looking at me. The oh, really geez. Yeah. And he takes off running. And I, he was uh, probably like 22 inch wide, nine, just, you know, the whole deal. Yeah. Big frame. Um, yeah. he, Yeah. It got me going for sure. But basically, I, two days later, it um, it stopped raining, and we were going to have the same wind. So I said, I'm going to head in there, roughly in that same area where that buck was. And there was a bunch of does. So I said, they're going to be in here, with it being the first. And uh, my plan was just kind of still hunt down low. And it was I think it was like a one or two mile an hour wind, so pretty much nothing. So I'm just going to still hunt into this bottom at first with the thermals pulling down. And then once they start pulling up, I'll shift up on top. And um, I was walking in and I got in the bottom and heard a buck start grunting up on the same bench that the buck big one was the day before or two days before. And so I just slowly started moving that way. And I remember hearing the grunting going up on the bench and stuff. And But it's it rained the night before, so it's quiet. I can get around and not make any noise. And uh, basically the little point I was going up to try to get up to the bench, there was a trail coming off of it. And all of a sudden the buck, I hear a deer coming. You know, because he's he's moving quick, so he's making noise, even though I'm, you know, really not making much noise. And he just pops over the bench. As soon as he pops over, he's probably 13, 14 yards when I first saw him. And I see antlers first. I said, that's a shooter. And I grunted and stopped him. And I'm just standing there and stopped him at like 90 yards and shot him. And he ran 60 yards and fell over. But Were you um, drawn yet or no? When he came I, over I, that? I, like I could tell he was getting ready to he'd go over the top and that's when I drew. So by the time he came over, I was drawing. It was just whether he was going to be big enough to shoot or not. Um, but yeah, that's one of my favorite deer. Um, my dad helped me pack that one out. That's the only deer my dad's ever, or the last one my dad's helped me packed out. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, and killing him with nine yards on the ground. It's really, at least for me, you can't be. No, it's such a rush, especially when they're oh. close like that. No, that's a great point. And the reason I ask is I've I had a couple of close ground kills like that, like eight yards, 10 yards, you know, real close. And it's, it's difficult to get drawn. And that's why I ask if you drew first, because even during the rut, like, yeah, they're, they're not thinking about you, but 
if they see movement, they're not sticking around. So I think that's right. a big takeaway that anybody that's going to be doing some ground hunting, when the situation presents itself, it's better to, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's it, a catch-22. You draw too early and you get stuck there, then then that's no good. Yeah. But it's like you want to draw before they can see you, but at the last possible moment, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, and that's kind of like the learning stuff too because I've, I remember when I was younger, I got caught drawing a few times and it just was kind of like, okay, you got to get drawn before you see them or make sure they're not looking at you or they got to be looking down or something. But, um, I think that's a lot of it too. Like you said, the seeing them, like the hill country, I don't see them as much, but where I grew up in West Virginia, that private piece I could hunt, it had, it had a field in it that I would say was probably 75% of the property. Okay. So a lot of the stuff I was still on, I was still on the edges or like if the field, there was a few spots that had like higher grass or something, I was sneaking into those and watching the field. And, and, uh, that was one of my first nice bucks I shot actually out of that field. I was still hunting. I just got in this little thicket and three bucks chased the doe by me. And the last one was, uh, yeah, I mean, probably like 110, 115 inch 10 point. But at the time for me, that was a huge deer for sure. me. So I think that that's part of it too. It was like, I don't have any patience and I was, I felt like I was having success doing it. So that's kind of, like I said, I've stuck with it for a long time until this year. That's for sure. I've shot one out of the saddle. And if I hadn't shot that one out of the saddle, I probably would have went back to still hunting the next week or something, you know, as soon as the weather got right and I could get around without making a ton of noise. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of advantages of it. The, you kind of mentioned one of them earlier in the morning, right? Especially if you're hunting hilly areas, you can, you can cheat the thermals, you can stay down low and then it's nothing to move uphill. You know, maybe it takes you three, four minutes, but if you're setting oh, up a stand one, you got to either wait for the thermals to be right, or you're taking the chance you're winding the deer out. So it's, it's harder to get in the right area at the right time. Um, you just got a lot more flexibility and, and I'm getting older. I get tired of carrying the stand around all the time. I'll be honest, <laughs> especially oh, yeah. if it's hilly, right? You got, you got 20, 30 pounds of stand. And if you're filming or if you got extra clothes during the rut, when it's cold, it's like, I get sick of that right. thing sometimes. Yeah, that's this is the first year because I'm the same way. I I don't know, call me lazy, but I hate carrying all that stuff in. You know, you get yeah. four sticks and you're just, I, even with the saddle platform, you know, and your gear, you know, it gets up there. Especially if I plan on it being like a scout slash hunt, it's like you know I might be walking three or four miles before I even set up. So this year, I think this was the first hunt um, that I hadn't taken just two sticks. I was taking two sticks with uh, eighters on them, and early season when the leaves are on, you know, I get. 13 feet up and I'm, you know, feel pretty, pretty, uh, secure. And then, um, not getting spotted, but the 22nd, it was like the leaves were off. Um, by then. So that's when I started taking extra sticks. That was, a, that was actually the first time I'd got more than two sticks up. Well, I want to go back to, uh, you said that the buck from 2021 that you, you know, you moved midday and you got in the back part of a property and you started seeing bigger sign. What do you think it was about that area? Do you think it was lack of pressure? Was there a food source back there? What do you think was going on that had that that buck and those does in that area, that property? I think a little bit of both because um, I know this piece had a couple of different access points, and I know there was a guy uh, hunting one of the earlier parts. I think he was he was hunting in a saddle, you know, four or five hundred yards from the road. Um, but the big thing I think was that bench that they were on that year was loaded with red oaks. And most of the pieces that I'd walked in that year, there really weren't a ton of oaks. And I think they were just 
feeding on those oaks. And I, I, once I've got in there, I think I've probably been in that piece three or four times since. And it seems like there's a doe group that lives there right on top. So I think that was part of it. You had the oaks keeping the does there for the bucks. But I think a lot of it too, the does were on top. And I think those bucks were just cruising that bench on that leeward side. Um, just checking to see if there's a hot doe in there, I think. Yeah. And it seems self-evident and I've forgotten this lesson a few times myself. And then I, I got reminded this year I had a tag for Kansas. So the way it's been working out just by luck, um, I've drawn every other year. So I had a tag in 16, 18, 20, 22, but this year I drew back to back. I've applied every year, oh. but I've, I've been drawn every other year. So this yeah. was the first year and in Kansas, big ag country, for the most part, they're just doing corn and beans. Sometimes you get winter wheat or sometimes you get, um, you know, beets or they're planting radishes for, you know, tillage or whatever. But mm -hmm. for the most part, it's corn and beans. So a lot of the spots that I had scouted or had been hunting were on a pretty much a corn rotation. I was missing the bean years. And this year, a lot of those properties were, were in beans and cut beans when you get there and, you know, hunting season, all the beans are gone. So those aren't right. a draw at all. And what I found out is that like it totally changed the movement across the landscape. And the whole point I'm trying to make here is the does weren't where they normally were. And because the does weren't there, there were no bucks. So I had a pretty right. rough year in Kansas and was trying to scramble around to, you know, recalibrate and find some new spots where there was corn or some green food source where I could find them. But yeah, that's a, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good point and it's easy to overlook. I think so. I, the areas I hunt don't have a, a ton of ag, but when they do have ag, it's, it's, you can definitely tell a huge difference from year to year, whether they have beans or if it's corn. I mean, it changes the deer movement completely and where you're going to find them. Um, and honestly, that was one of the pieces, a piece I had planned this year, they planted corn on or close to it on private. And that was the first year they'd done that since I've been there. And I've hunted on years where it was just grass and it had deer then. So I was really kind of looking forward to that this year because I thought that piece is going to have some big deer in it if it didn't get, you know, pressured like crazy. But for all I know, there could have been 30 other guys thinking the same thing when sure. I saw that. So it's hard to tell. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your 2023 buck because you shot another good one this year. So give me the story there. Sure. So um, I'd hunted the day before in a different piece. I had um, a couple other bucks in a different piece I wanted to hunt. And uh, honestly, I was uh, the day before I was about two miles deep in a different section. And um, it was like 70 degrees or something. And, you know, you're kind of miserable. And I yeah, just warmer up this year. Yeah, it, it was, you know, it was October, I think, 21st or something. And it was like, you know, it's like 40-something, 40 45 in the morning, not too bad. And then by the time you're at noon, it's, you know, you're hunting a T-shirt. Right. And um, actually thought about hunting a different piece. And then a camera went off. And that other section, it was a buck I really wanted to hunt. He was like a four. I think I'd had, had one last year. And he wasn't like a giant scoring deer, but like a probably like one mid-130s eight-point. And uh, I just remember it like kind of dug at me. I was like, I drove by that spot to get here. And I thought about hunting, didn't hunt it. And um, I don't know. I, was, I honestly was struggling early this year because I hadn't seen a deer um, before I hunted the day I shot mine. Or I had seen a doe and a fawn. That's all I'd seen. Oh, no and, deer at all then? No. I, oh, I, I bumped one. I bumped a decent buck going in um, the night before or the evening before. And then I saw a doe and a fawn after I set up. So I technically had seen three deer all season. And um, 
I just decided I'm going to go back into that piece where I shot my 2019 block. Um, just kind of scout it, see if the oaks are here. Because if the acorns were there, I thought, you know, when I come back next week, um, with that being that late October time frame, I felt like I could really get on one if there's the signs there. And so it was kind of a set up and plan and just kind of see how things go and scout for next week type deal. Um, but once I got up there, uh, I started noticing there was, you know, a bunch of tracks on the trail that I came in on. Um, and I noticed there was oaks on the ground and I saw, I think like two or three just sapling type rubs, but that told me at least there's some bucks in here. And, uh, it was kind of, you know, one of those mornings where just nothing goes right. That, that was how this morning was going. Cause I, uh, I got the trail that I walked in. I mean, it had been four years since I walked up it, but a bunch of big trees that fell over it. And it was just hassle finding a way to even get through there. And there was a bunch of just briars and thick, nasty bottom stuff trying to find a way through. And then I get up there and I get, uh, I think I was three sticks up. And that last stick I put up, I said, man, this tree's kind of spongy. And I look up and the tree was dead, like three feet above me. And it just oh, snapped no. on me. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't, I don't know how I didn't see it. There was a big tree behind it. I'm assuming I just saw it and thought that's, you know, that's the tree. And um, so I moved like 25 yards, set up in that tree, and I'll set my platform and a deer takes off running. And I'm like, well, there was probably my buck. You know, that's it. And um, I was just kind of sitting there. I, and of course, this is one time of the year I didn't set up my camera arm. I'd set it up every other hunt, but I said, I'm not going to mess with it this hunt. I'm just going to. story of my life. Yeah, I should have known. That's all was going to happen. But I was just like, I'm just going to sit here, you know, relax, have a good time. And uh, I had a small buck coming behind me, and he was just feeding on oaks. And um, I was just kind of watching him. He was, you know, 40, 50 yards from me, just kind of feeding around, messing around. And then um, I, I kind of kept watching that bench where that where I'd shot my big one. And I was probably like 80 to 100 yards up the hill from that. And uh, it's probably like right at 8 o'clock, I – caught a glimpse of something in the thicket and caught a glimpse of antler. And I said, that looked like a decent buck. And, um, all of a sudden he turned and walked right towards me. And I said, yeah, that's a shooter. And he got to like, he was probably 40 yards and he just pecked me right in the tree. He had me. And, um, it, it was one of those where it felt probably felt like two or three minutes, but it was probably more like 40 seconds. He was just kind of watching me. He'd put his head down, you know, try to juke me. And then he'd look, yeah, back yeah. Ask, you know, and um, I got I got lucky to some degree because I was hunting kind of an off wind, and if he went probably another ten yards, he probably had me. And for some reason, all of a sudden, I think he heard that button buck behind me, and he decided I want to go see what that is. And so he comes up kind of angled, and um, when he got the broadside, he was probably twenty five. I tried to stop him twice. I got drawn when he real quick when he got behind a big tree. And, um, I tried to stop him twice and he didn't stop. So the next opening I said, I'm going to shoot him because he was walking slow. I said, I'm just going to take him next opening. He gets in. And, um, as soon as I hit him, I said, he's done. And, um, yeah, he ran probably 60 yards. It was, it was one of those, like, I pretty much hit him right in that vital V. I would say that isn't, you know, I don't normally aim for that. I'm more like aim behind the shoulder to be a little safe, but that one I hit him right in that vital V and, I mean, he, yeah, he was dead in 10 oh, seconds. Oh, they go down, they go down so quick. And I, I know you probably know, uh, Ryan locked down on the hunting beast. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about that quite a bit and, and people aiming. So now not always, I mean, it's situational dependent, but I almost always aim up the front leg. Now I used to aim behind the front leg 
but as I've gotten older, especially if they're quartering away at all, even a little bit, um, that's probably my favorite shot, just like the quarter and away where you can shoot there. Cause then, you know, you're going to slip in behind that shoulder and man, when you get them in there, they just die so fast. I want to take a minute to mention huntingbeastgear.com co-founded by the big buck serial killer himself, Dan Infault. Hunting beast gear features state of the art manufacturing techniques, the highest quality materials and innovative designs that have been engineered, field tested and refined to perfection by a group of the best mobile hunters on the planet www.huntingbeastgear.com delivers cutting-edge products including beast gear climbing sticks with weight reduction holes designed to deliver incredible durability in a lightweight stick. Beast gear climbing sticks also feature non-staggered inline stacking and double steps all in a 2.2 pound package including the fastening strap. Huntingbeastgear.com has also released the game-changing beast gear hang-on tree stand designed to be the ultimate hang-on tree stand solution with over four years of prototyping testing and refinement. The Beast Gear stand features a 16-inch wide by 29-inch long platform. The stand comes in at an incredible 6.8 pounds, and it does all that without compromising strength or durability. The Beast Gear stand is finished with a long-lasting anodized coating and features grade 8 hardware, high-quality Delrin washers, beast buttons, and adjustment knobs. For more details and to place your order today, head on over to www.huntingbeastgear.com. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, well, that, that's pretty much right where I hit him. I hit him... Uh probably like three to four inches above like where the chest hits that top of that leg and just zip through them until the other side it actually hit the top of the leg on that other side and broke it so it you know i mean you couldn't ask for a better shot and the blood trail was really good um, yeah I, I honestly that's well this first year i shot single levels too okay I shot single levels, so it was kind of interesting to see how that that reacted and how the deer took it i guess yeah, and for people that don't know, I think this is a real popular topic, but in, in the case that you don't know, Vital V, and if you've ever processed your own deer, where the front leg meets basically the bottom of the chest, the the bone that intercepts there kind of angles forward towards yeah. like the front of the deer, and then it, the next bone angles back, and that's the one with the scapula on. So there's actually, there's a, there's a V, exactly what it sounds like, like a sideways V in there where if you're confident in the shot and it's a close enough shot, you know, whatever is good for you, 25 yards and in, 20 yards and in. If you want to cheat a little more towards the leg, uh, it is, uh, it's it's real deadly. And part of the, getting back to what I was talking about with, with Ryan, I forget who, he sent me something, but basically it showed the arteries and like the veins coming off. And it's a lot more vascular in the front of the lungs and the heart as yeah. opposed to the back. That's why a lot of times if you get, you know, a back of the lung shot, you can still kill them, but they don't bleed as good. But if you hit them in the front like that, one, they bleed a lot more. And, and because of that, they die, out, die a lot faster too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, it was definitely one of the bigger blood trails I've had. And I generally, I thought I had like hard punched him as soon as it hit him. I said, he's, you know, hard shot. And uh, honestly, I didn't even touch the heart, but I guess I come, you know, I just hit all those veins and arteries. Like you're talking about coming off of that heart, those big you know, vessels and stuff coming off there. Yeah, he, I, that's probably the quickest I've watched one die. It's like, you, you know, you lung shoot them and they run, you know, 80, 100 yards or something. But this one, I mean, he was death run until he was, until he was done. Right, and 30, 40 yards a lot of times, that's it. Yeah. Any specific reason you switched to single bevels? Do you have any issues with the previous broadhead or just wanted to go with something where you could shoot maybe that shot and feel more confident about it? <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't. I like to tinker with the broadheads, I guess. Um, like my 20, 
19 buck I shot with like an NAP Hellraiser, like one of those just single, or it's a three blade, just like a solid three blade. Yeah. And then 2021, 20, I shot with iron wheels. And then this one, I just decided to try some single bevels. Um, I, I used uh, some like Grim Reaper three blades in 2021. After I shot the one, I just decided to dope on it because, you know, I was one buck state and the three blade, it didn't have the, the blood I was kind of expecting. And it was, I think it was one of those, I think it's only an inch or maybe an inch and a 16th cut. And I just decided I'm going to try a single bevel with a bigger cut. And I think the one I was using this year is like an inch and a half. I just wanted to see if that affected my blood flow or anything. I mean, I, I had no complaints with any of the other ones I used. They killed the deer, you know, and it, all of them were passed through. So I had no complaints. I just kind of just wanted to tinker, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of good broadheads. I mean, I know guys swear by certain ones or swear off certain ones, and I, I do think there are some bad ones, but we don't need to get into all the broadhead. That's a controversial topic. I'm just saying there's uh, there's more than one way to kill a deer. There's plenty of good ones on the market these days. Yeah, it's – I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's all shot placement, you know. I mean, we could shoot them with a, you know, fill point almost, I think, and kill them if you hit them right, but – I don't know. Yeah, I, like I said, I just like tinkering. I think every deer I've shot, uh, almost every, at least the bucks I've had different arrows, I just like tinkering with the, you know, I, I do a four blade um, or four fletch, but I've always just kind of tinkered with like different veins and stuff. And just, I mean, as long as it shoots straight, you know, like we're saying, I don't think it has to be a specific thing. I, mean, I, I kind of try to ride that center line, I guess. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, Ranch Ferry guy, but I'm not a light arrow setup guy either. I just kind of like somewhere between that, like four, I like 470 to like 500 right in there. That seems to be like kind of a sweet spot for me. And I yeah, just, no, I'm, I couldn't agree more. And I don't want to mess around with a bunch of arrow setups. So out west, I mean, I can't shoot a Ranch Ferry arrow. I don't know if I would, even if I could, but I'm not shooting six or 700 grains because I'm going to hunt antelope and I want to hunt elk where I know I'm going to have some longer shots or maybe some. Spot and stock mule deer, but I also want something that is going to penetrate on elk. So I'm right at the same. I'm right around 470, 475. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I, I don't know. I mean, I think all setups, like you said, or I think if you hit them right, it'll kill them with about anything, you know, as long as it's heavy enough to penetrate or sharp enough. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I've, I've never really tinkered one way, way far towards the ranch very side or the other side, you know. Um, but that's just that's what's worked good for me. I like where I'm at because I I shoot a spot hog like the two. It's a slider, but I, it has two pins on it. Oh, double and, stack one. Uh, yeah, it's um fast study. Yeah, yep, yep, that's it. And um, it's like I like exactly where I'm at because I think my top pin's at 20 and my bottom one is I think it was 32 this year. Okay, and so for me, that's I don't want to shoot a deer over 35. And in my opinion, if he's 35, he's probably going to duck a little bit. So that 32, I think I was hitting like two inches low at 35. So for me, that was kind of the perfect sweet spot because I I played with a single pin in the past, and that was 2020. And I one of the deer that I missed, I had set it. I think I had it set for 25, and the deer was moving. That's where he, like my opening was. That's I drew, and I said he's gonna walk into that opening at 25, and then he turned. And so when I shot, I think he was probably more like 32 to 33. And so I aimed high, but I hit under him anyway. And that's, that's when I switched from the single pin. I liked it a lot because it got rid of that clutter. But I said, I'm not doing this again where I draw and then, you know, have to let down and readjust or something or try to 
aim high or aim low. I said, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of strong opinions when it comes to archery or equipment specifically, but I am a diehard multi-pin site for hunting. Now, if you're only shooting 3d single pin, that's great. I mean, it's way more precise dialed in, but I can't tell you how many times I've heard friends of mine say, Oh, I was practicing at 40 and I forgot to set my slider back to 20 and it came in and I shot over it or, or what you said, I had it set for 20. I couldn't get drawn on him, or he, he was behind some bushes and he went out to 30. I couldn't move it again, or I didn't want to. So I had to, you know, Kentucky windage it and I missed yeah. It's like, or I wounded him. I don't know. I don't, I don't mess around with that. I think yeah. so to yep. me, and we'll, we'll hear your opinion on this, but, uh, the double stack, the triple stack, my friend, Joel, who I hunt with a lot, he's got, uh, the option site. Have you ever seen those? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen those. Okay. So to me, I might end up with one of those the option site for people that don't know the, I think Dan Evans is the guy's name. He, he actually started trophy taker, which is a huge brand now and oh, sold yeah, it. Yeah. So he started option and with the option site, they got a couple different models, but the one Joel's got is a four pin. So you got three fixed pins and then your fourth pin can be your slider. But the cool thing about the option is the, the fixed pins are uh, magnetic on the same plane. So you can actually flip those out of the way. If you want just a single pin site, and yeah. for a bow hunting site, like Joel, he's got a 20, 30, 40, and then he leaves a slider pin at 50 and he can shoot out to like 73. So even for out West, right? Like you probably basically never shooting over 70 yards or you probably shouldn't be. That's a, that's a different debate, but, um, it, it's covering the whole range. And, and the thing that I like about that is, okay, if an animal, let's say an elk or an antelope, you're going to shoot 50 yards or 60 yards you've probably got time to adjust it when the animals at 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, I don't want to be messing around moving the slider pin. Yeah, that's, um, well, like my 2019 buck, he was, you know, like I said, 12, 13 yards or whatever. That's the first time I'd used a single pin. And for that scenario, it was absolutely perfect, you know, because I only have one thing to focus on and just one pin, you know? And so it worked good that year. And I was like, Oh, I love this thing. But then I had 2020 where I ran into those, the elk was kind of the same deal. You know, I had a single pin and I think I had it set for like 20 or 30 right in there somewhere. And I think the one I shot at, I think he was like 36, 37. And it was same deal. It was like, I, you know, I hit that high shoulder and you know, with an elk, you hit that there. You know, yeah. Laugh it off almost. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get your broadhead penetrating into wherever it hits the bone and that's it. Yeah, it. That was it. You know? So that was, I think that's, that was kind of the end of the, trigger index finger for me plus the single pin just because it was like just too many um too many variables and you know it's like like you said out west a lot of times you have a chance to adjust and i that's kind of what i went into it with i was like you know what i'm, I'm not gonna shoot past 50 i think i was saying 50 was gonna be my max i'd practiced out the 60 felt good with it but i was like i'm just gonna shoot a 50 yeah and uh, i thought i'll just have time to adjust it well when a bull comes chasing cows in and you got a cow at three yards, you know, you can't adjust things while she's Yeah. There. Yeah. Overlook so, that part of the elk hunt. Yeah. You don't think about that when you're just practicing, you know, you're like, he's just going to walk out and open and I'm going to shoot him. You know? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of where I switched to the two pin. I do think if I went out west, I would probably look into like a three or four. Um, and I think now too, I would be able to handle it better. I've, I've definitely kind of, like I said, with that like mental process of shooting through. Sure. I think I would be able to like talk myself through what pin and the yardage and all that a lot better than I did. Um, yeah. 2020, like I said, I was still shooting trigger finger and it was one of those like, okay, he's, you got to shoot 
you know? So I, I think I would have handled it. And I, I probably could have killed it with a single pin if I had like had a process and kind of talked myself through it, I think. But, but still, I, I think it's a lot better to be prepared for that, you know, not having to adjust and you've got that 40, 50 covered, at least out there for sure. And like I said, back here, it's a lot of the places I'm hunting, especially if I'm on the ground, I really probably couldn't shoot more than 35, 40 yards a lot of the times, at least in the thickets that I kind of like hunting in. Yeah. Yeah. And if people uh, are having issues with whitetail and then you go to elk, it's like that, that definitely amplifies the issues. They get you a little more excited. Oh yeah. 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 It's, it's a little more exciting. Which sure. state did y'all come in? I just did over the counter in Colorado. Okay. Nice. I've Which only I, done, I, I've only done Montana. I, I don't see any reason to go anywhere else. And I'm still looking for my first bull. I should have had uh, several this year, but that's, that's another story yeah. too. <laughs> well, I get it. It's well, I don't know. They're, for me, you know, back here, the closest thing I get to hunt to that is a turkey, really. You know? Yeah. And they don't have the bugling. I mean, they gobble, but, you know, I love the turkey hunt. Don't get me wrong, but once you hear an elk bugle, it's, it's totally a different ballgame then. Um, every hunt I've went on has been a little better because I did like 20, 16 or 17. And that was kind of my first, you know, elk hunting experience. I had no clue what I was doing. You know, I didn't, didn't have any idea what I was doing. And then uh, 2020, by that time, I felt pretty prepared. I did like a solo backpack. I think it was day eight. Or it was like day eight or nine was the last day of my trip, and that's when I hit that bull bad. And I just, you know, it's it, it probably the lowest I've been in a long time. Um, but I definitely, it helped me get better with archery for sure. I'm just saying I got to fix this stuff. Um, and then 2021, I didn't actually hunt, but my brother is out in New Mexico. He stationed out there, and he drew a Gila tag. So going Oh, from- nice. Yeah, so if we're going from over the counter Colorado, where I thought hearing two or three bulls a day was awesome, and then going to the Gila, it was like, okay, this is a totally different ball game here. This is, you know, unbelievable, really. Yeah, it's a great unit from what I've heard. Yeah. Yep. So what a, and I don't talk equipment too much, but it's a good time of the year because it's, you know, it's going to air right around Christmas, and a lot of guys are doing gear changes. Yeah. Going into the next season, um, I talked uh, to Uncle Lou last night. I did a podcast with Lou from Stealth Outdoors, and I told him I bought a new rangefinder, kind of like how you were talking about. You lost confidence. It wasn't the bow, but you lost confidence, and it's like, ah, oh, something's got to change, right? And and to me, it, it, it at least partially was the rangefinder. Mine was struggling real bad in the grass. It, it would range like closer yeah. stuff and not not the animal. But anyways. The question I'm trying to get to here is what release are you shooting now? I know you said a thumb button, but which, what branded and model did you end up with? Uh, so I'm shooting, shoot, what is it called? Uh, Carter, Stan, True Ball, UV. Stan, sorry. It's been a couple of years since I bought it. I couldn't remember yeah. what it was. Uh, yeah, I'm shooting. It's uh, it's a stand and I, it has a training pin with it. Um, okay. Per- and that's perfect. What it, what is it? Perfects? No, it's... Shoot off? <sighs> SX3? You're, you're straining my knowledge here. <laughs> it is, honestly. <laughs> um, it, either way, I, yeah. I can't remember which one it is. It's So it's got four fingers. You can get it in three or four. Um, but it comes with a training pin, and that was honestly one of the main reasons I got it. Um, because I, I got like a one of those string trainers you know you just draw and shoot with that string sure and um so i did that a lot when i started using it just to try to play with it and um i've used a training pin there for a few years like 
I think real I've quick, had it ever since his third real year. Real quick, George, for people that don't know, explain the training pin. Okay, so basically it comes with a training pin, and I can insert that training pin and put the release. So I put the release on the D-loop, put that training pin in, and if I shoot it, say, you know, set the release off, it actually won't open the jaws. Right. So for me, that was – I did that a lot with my bow, which I put an arrow on, but I was doing that a lot, just pulling it back and just clicking it, you know, because I get that same feeling of knowing when it's going to go off without actually shooting an arrow or, you know, and that was part of it for me. I was blank billing and doing that because I didn't want to see where the arrow's going or anything like that. And I remember you can kind of play with the um, tension a little bit, you know, how hard it is to get to go off. Yeah, it's got a set screw, right? Yeah, it's got a set screw. Yeah. And uh, so I did total archery that year, and I think I had done it for like two or three months, and I felt good. And I went so archery, and I was like, I haven't got this figured out at all. Because I, you know, just pulling it, couldn't get the release to go off when I thought it should. And that was kind of an eye-opener, too. I was like, I need to play with this more and just kind of see, you know, what's the right amount of pull that I need to put into this to get to go off. And um, I probably, I would say I'm definitely more on the light side. I've had a couple guys shoot it, and they're like, geez, you barely touched that thing. But. I would rather it be that way. Um, I did actually adjust it a little bit more this year to where I had to pull it. And I kind of like doing that early in the season when I start practicing to really like kind of make myself pull more. But once it gets closer to the season, I'll tend to pull it down just a touch. For one, I get that more surprise release again. And I don't want to be in that situation where I'm cold or, you know, like you said, you sometimes it gets cold and, and you're stiff or the adrenaline's going and things don't don't work. And so I was scared of that situation where I'm just sitting here pulling, like trying to get to go off and all of a sudden the gear takes a step. So I've got it pretty light, but it still is more of the last thing I say in my head before I shoot is pull, you know, and I'm just pulling. That's the only thing I'm telling myself when I shoot. And that's, like I said, that's definitely helped because once it goes off, you're sort of expecting it, but not as much as, you know, the trigger. And I think that's why it's helped me a lot. And I, I've played with hinges a little bit, but I, I don't see a reason to change. Like I'm pretty confident with what I've got now and it's been working for me. So I'm not going to, that part of releases is not something I'm going to tinker with. I like tinkering with arrows and rod hits, but release them. I feel pretty good with it. Yeah. That's something you want to be pretty consistent. I'm like you, I shot a trigger for a long time. And then 2017, I came to Montana as a non-resident for the first time. And my buddy had a a stand and I think it was his, his was a shoot off. Yeah. That's what, yeah. Stand shoot off TL, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd never had, uh, or I'd never shot one and I shot it and it like within like five shots for me, I was like, Oh, I, I like this way better. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have it figured out exactly, but I could just tell the big thing for me was my anchor point with the trigger. Whenever I squeeze my hand, like that muscle on the side of your hand would move and it was kind of affecting my face pressure and the way I anchor with the thumb button when you squeeze it, it doesn't affect your anchor at all. And just that alone to me was like a big difference. And it's, it's pretty easy to get that consistent for me because it's always between that index and middle fingers right on that. Right on your jawline. Cheekbone area right there. Yeah, it's yep. easy to replicate it. Yep. And for people that are listening to that don't know the, uh, and you, you did a good job explaining it, but probably a good analogy for the training pin, people that shoot a lot, um, rifles or handguns, it's like the equivalent of dry fire practice, right? Where right. you're yeah. getting, you're, you're kind of conditioning yourself away from the recoil so like a lot of the reason people do that for handguns and 
rifles is so you're you're not recoil sensitive. You just get used to pulling the trigger with nothing happening. Right. And same thing with the bow and those training pins are great. The I I've got a stand too, a little different one though. Perfect's a couple of years okay. old now. Yeah. But same thing. It's got a training pin and, and it's pretty helpful. Especially if you're struggling with shooting issues or target panic or any of that stuff. Yeah. That's um that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of years too. Like as soon as I'll just pull that string trainer out during the winter and just you know, every, I don't do it a ton, but you know, every once in a while, if I just feel like it, I'll pull that out and just kind of practice with it. And start of the season, I really like shooting that shoot, you know, the string trainer. Then yeah. I'll put that training pin in there and just blank bail or just, you know, put that in and just draw and hold it and then let down. And I think that's one thing too. I like, I kind of done it the last year a little bit. I didn't do as much this year, but it definitely helped. Um, I like just drawing it and holding it, you know, and I'll do like, do that eight or 10 times when I practice. And that I've noticed it definitely helps with that, like being able to hold it a little longer. Sure. Obviously shooting the bow helps, but like just that holding it. I think it was last year. I was kind of like timing myself and I was getting, you know, like trying to increase it by like an inch or two, you know, or two uh, seconds, like every time I did it every week. And by the time I started hunting, I can hold it for a pretty long time. I pulled it all. Well, George, that was, uh, we're running up on an hour here. That was all the questions I had for you, but I was like, turn it over to the guest for a few things. One, do you have anything, uh, tactics or anything else that you want to add? And two, if people want to find you on social media, if you're doing that, where can they find you at? Sure. So I've got Facebook, just George Hamrick, uh, Instagram. I think it's, uh, Hamrick George is what it is, but if you search me, just George Hamrick, you'll probably find me. I would think I don't, I don't post a whole lot on there. I just post pictures of deer or turkeys or fish or whatever i'm doing but sure. um yeah just that's probably the easiest way to find me all right hey appreciate you taking the time to come on it was great talking to you and when i edit this i'll put some of the pictures on of the deer because you have shot some really good deer and, and i expect you to be shooting a lot more it sounds like you're you're getting things figured out now and uh it's always exciting to see people putting the work in and having the results i appreciate it tomorrow's uh well this weekend's a gun weekend here in ohio so I'm gonna scouting starts tomorrow. I'm gonna or um, I'm gonna head down there and start scouting around and seeing where the pressure is at, and then try to find one for next year. So see how it goes. All right. Well, hey, thanks again. No, I appreciate it. You're gonna have a good time.